of uh, when I was a teenager myself, my grandfather who was in the 60s at the time. My dad's dad pulled me aside. We were just talking one time. I don't remember sure what we were fishing together or something. And and he said, basically, you know, enjoy your life because it just flashes by. He said each decade gets faster and faster and faster. And you're like, yeah, right, Grandpa. You know, but but I found it to be true. Each decade seems to get faster and faster and faster. You know, this whole brevity of life thing is, is a theme that uh, that we as human beings have wrestled with for a long time. It seems like we always want more time. We need more time. We we try to find ways to to get more time to extend our our good season of life, to extend our lives, our very lives themselves. And poets and authors and musicians have written poems and, and books and songs that tap into this theme. For example, a few years ago, oh, seven, eight years ago, um, you still hear it on the radio once in a while. There was a song by uh, Five for Fighting, 100 Years. Remember, remember the song? And, and the premise is, is that you've only got 100 years to live, which I thought that's, that's pretty optimistic. Uh, most of us don't make it that long. But, the, but the, the, the theme that kind of runs through it is that 15 is a great age to be because you, you've got lots of time. Time to buy, the lyric says, time to lose and, and time to choose. And the song goes on to talk about 22, it's pretty good. 33, it's good. Life is coming together. 45, things are going all right, but you start to realize it's, you know, it's half over. 67, the sun is starting to fall toward the horizon of your life. And before you know it, you're 99, wondering where time went, where your life went, wishing that you were 15 years again, just, just for a moment. You know, when I hear that song, it brings to mind another song, a much, much older song, not a song from the 70s or 80s that you hear on the classic oldies. It's a song that's one of the oldest songs in human history. It's Psalm 90, the, the, the passage that was read by Jennifer just a few minutes ago. We are coming to the conclusion uh, of our sermon series. We've been working our way through certain psalms this summer. We're going to spend a couple more weeks and then we'll start up a new series in September. But Psalm 90 is connected to Moses, which makes it in all likelihood one of the oldest pieces of literature uh, in the Bible. And like the song, 100 years, Psalm 90 ponders the passing of time. Moses seems to be perplexed, troubled even by the brevity of life. You blink, snap your fingers, and all of a sudden you're at the end of your life. The way he figures it, Moses, we've got maybe 70 years, three score and 10, maybe 80 if we're fortunate. And whatever the number ends up being the days of our lives, he says, they pass quickly. And we come to the end and we wonder if our lives have counted for anything, for something. Has all the trouble, all the sorrow, all the hard work, all the hardship, all the tedium, has it meant something? Will people know that we walk this earth when we pass from it? Now, in our culture, we don't take a lot of time to reflect. We're busy, 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 hectic, hectic, hectic. Uh, but from time to time, on certain days and certain occasions, when life slows down, when we turn the calendar on another year, when there's a rite of passage uh, in our lives, when we blow out the candles on the birthday cake, when we hear the passing of a celebrity like Robin Williams recently, or we hear of a disaster that takes dozens or hundreds, even thousands of lives, we stop for a moment and we think about our mortality. And we think about the passing of time, about the meaning of our lives. Rabbi Harold Kushner writes, Our souls are not hungry for fame, comfort, wealth, or power. Those rewards create almost as many problems as they solve. Our souls are hungry 
for meaning. We want our lives to matter. You know, one of our greatest fears is the fear that our lives in the end will amount to little if nothing. You know, one of the reasons that Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, was so popular was because it tapped into this need that we all have to be significant, to matter, to have meaning in our lives. When it's all said and done, we want our lives to add up to something of lasting value. Turn if you would, in your Bibles, if you're still not there, to Psalm 90. And we'll be looking at a few of these verses as we look at this topic of, of life, the brevity of life. And as I mentioned, Psalm 90 is probably the, one of the oldest pieces of literature in the Bible. And, and when Moses wrote it, uh, we don't know the context of his life. We don't know what's going on. I mean, it could have been that Moses wrote it when he was a young man, kind of an old soul, you know, in a young person's body. But that's probably unlikely. He could have written it when he was in middle age, kind of looking back at the, the triumphs and the mistakes of the first half of his life, looking forward to the second half, wondering about hopes and dreams and what it might bring to him. But I think it's probably more likely that Moses wrote this when he was an older man, looking back and reflecting upon his life and what a life Moses had. No doubt there were times at the end of his life when he, won, when he thought back to the time when he grew up in Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's courts and palace as one of Pharaoh's sons and about the time when he, in anger, murdered an Egyptian man and fled into the desert. About the time when God spoke to him through a burning bush, when he first met God in a personal way and God called him to go and confront Pharaoh and lead his people out of slavery into freedom. No doubt he thought about times when miracles happened, the parting of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, water out of a rock. Whatever the circumstances, in whichever way Moses was looking, he begins the psalm with two very sharp contrasting themes. The first one is found in verse 1, the eternal nature, the eternality of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now remember, Moses was the one who asked God his name. So he understands the immortality of God. Remember, Moses is confronted by God through the burning bush. And and Moses hems and haws and he says this in Exodus. When they ask me who sent me to them, what shall I tell them? God's answer is this. Tell them, I am who I am. In other words, God always was, always is, and always will be. He has no beginning. He has no end, which is a hard concept for us to get our minds around because everything about us is finite. Everything about this world is finite. There's a beginning and there's an end. But with God, he transcends time. God never twiddles his thumbs in heaven saying, boy, I wish the 21st century would sure come. Hurry up and get here. You know, he, he never wishes he had more time to get things done. God is transcendent above time. He is eternal. That's where, where Moses begins. With any contrast, God's eternal nature with, with the mortal nature of, of humankind, the frailty and the brevity of, of human life. Verse 3. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new. But by evening, it is dry and withered. In other words, Moses reminds us that these bodies that we work hard to 
you know, to keep in shape or to, or to look good or, or, or be healthy to prolong our lives. He tells us that one day they're going to come to dust and return back to the earth. Very pessimistic sermon to this point, isn't it? Now, five for fighting isn't the first rock band to echo the thoughts of Psalm 90. Some years ago, the group Kansas, which was one of my favorites because it was popular when I was a teen, sang a song called Dust in the Wind. Many of you know it. I close my eyes only for a moment and the moment's gone. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. It slips away and all your money won't another minute by dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Another song from the 70s, Jim Croce, Time in a Bottle, which is ironic because, it's, because by the time it was popular, he was, he was dead. And then another song, and I just want to be able to say this in a sermon, Hootie and the Blowfish. I always wanted to say that. I'll just kind of check it off my, my bucket list. Hootie and the Blowfish, time while you punish me, like a wave bashing into the shore, you wash away my dreams. Time's wasting, time's walking, time you ain't no friend of mine. I was blown away by the fact that Hootie and the Blowfish, is, Hootie is now a country music singer. Did anybody know that? He goes by the name of Howdy now. No, I'm just kidding. No, just that's not true. So. I was on vacation. I'm a little scattered today. So. so how do we resolve this tension between the eternal nature of God and the brevity of, of human life? We sense that we were made for something more than this life. Ecclesiastes tells us that God has set eternity in the hearts of humankind. What that means is that we, we long for more than this earth. We're created for more than this earth. We're created to, to live forever in a relationship with God. And we, we want to do something. So when we, want to, when we have this urge to do something that lasts beyond us, that's what it is. God's eternal nature created within us to cause us to long for him and to call out for him. So how do we, how do we make our lives last given the brevity of our lives? The answer, the psalm says, is to number our days, to count them, to value them and to cherish them, to invest them. In things that will last. Verse 12, sort of the turning point in the psalm where the song moves from a lament to a hope. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of, of wisdom. Teach us to number, to count our days aright. Now, if you think about it, everybody counts something in life. We all count things that are meaningful to measure things, how we're doing in life, how successful we might be, how we're doing. But wise people, wise people count the things that really matter and last. There's a movie called Mr. 3000. Maybe some of you have seen it. It's about the topic of, of counting the things that are important in life. And Bernie Mac is, is the lead, and he plays a baseball slugger who retires when he gets 3,000 hits. And he gets the nickname Mr. 3000. It gives him a lot of fame. He gets endorsements, and he gets into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And then he comes to a crisis a few years later because... He discovers that there was a, an error, and he actually only has 2,997 hits. And so at 40-something and out of shape, he comes out of retirement in order to get three more hits to recapture his title, to recapture his identity, and to find some sort of happiness in, in his mind, success in life. But on the way to the 3,000th hit, he discovers that maybe the things he has been counting all along may not be so important after all. You know, when I was a kid, the thing that I counted when I was a young kid, young, young kid, 
was baseball cards. I collected baseball cards. I bought them. I saved up for them, used my allowance for them. I traded. I, you know, I, I tried to get certain ones, and I sorted them and displayed them. And they were important to me. And at the end of the, the day, week, month, or year, whatever, if I had more baseball cards and more of the ones I wanted, then I was a pretty happy camper. Now, I don't know what, what kids count today. Maybe it's video game scores, the number of A's they get on their card, the number of wins and losses their team might have, the popularity, their popularity in the school hierarchy. Um, maybe they count the number of, of colleges they get into. Uh, hopefully college students count things like grade point averages and credit hours and not things like how many beers they can drink in a night or how many people of the opposite sex they can attract. Some adults measure their happiness and success by the, the, the size of their homes or the, the types of cars in their garage. The degrees they have, their golf scores, their, their, their investment portfolio, uh, the amount in their bank account, the success of their children. Psalm 90 warns us not to go through life counting the wrong things. Not that some of those things are, are wrong to, to work hard at, but in the long run, if we do those things and count those things, that we don't count what's most important in God's eyes, and it's all for naught. Like dust in the wind just blows away here one day, and gone the next. You know, when we think about it, none of us really know how much time we have, do we? We've all known folks who have been struck down at an early age. We've known people who live to ripe old age. We, we don't know where we're going to fall in the spectrum. We just know the age we are today. If we want to make the most of our lives, then Psalm 90 tells us that we must value and count our days. You know, one commentator paraphrases verse 12 this way, which is an interesting way, kind of a morbid way at first, but it's very effective. Teach us to remember that we will die in order that we might know how to live. Now, I'm going to, nobody can say I'm not an equal opportunity preacher because I'm going to include a country music lyric at this time now. Tim McGraw's hit, Live Like You Were Dying. And it's a song about a man who learns that he's sick and he only has a short time to live. He's terminal. And the song goes on to talk about what, he, what this knowledge does to him. He goes skydiving. He goes mountain climbing. It says he loved deeper and he spoke sweeter. He becomes the husband he always wanted to be. He becomes the type of friend he always wanted to have. And then the kind of hook line, the punch line, is that he hopes everybody has a chance to live like they were dying. When we number our days and realize how precious and how brief life is on this earth. We realize how very few days we may have. Like Moses, we are to spend them wisely. I came across a study from some years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago. So I'm sure it's changed some about how the typical American uses their, their time during the day. And the study revealed that the average adult, American adult, spends about seven and a half hours sleeping about 10 hours or so working, two hours a day watching TV, an hour and a half doing homework, or excuse me, housework, one hour eating, half an hour on recreation, half an hour washing and grooming, and about nine minutes thinking. Now that was done about 10, 15 years ago, before the internet and video games got really popular, so who knows what it would reveal today. Kind of sad, but not surprising that TV is third on the list. You know, 
I think most people make one of two mistakes when it comes to time, and I've made them both. Some people, younger people especially, think they have so much time that they can afford to, you know, just kind of waste time a little bit. They'll get around to the important things a little bit later in life, when, when they're done with school or, or maybe when their kids are older or when their things aren't so busy at work. But then they run out of time because before they get to those things. On the other extreme, people can think that they have too little time, that they can't possibly do the things that are you know, certain things. They can't squeeze one more thing into the, their calendar. And unfortunately, so often those things that get squeezed are things like relationships with family or with friends, service for God, a relationship with God. You know, the funny thing about, about time, unlike money, is that we all have the very same amount to work with when the sun comes up. Unless it's our last day, we all have 24 hours to work with. And we all have just enough time from God to do the things that he's called us to do that day. Author and pastor John Piper tells about a plaque that used to hang over the sink in the kitchen of his home when he grew up. I remember seeing the same one in my grandparents' house. Uh, on it, there's a picture of a, a hill in the distance, a green hill, and there's two trees at the top, and there's a brown path that snakes its way up and over the hill. And it's these words only. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Piper writes, How many times as a little boy and then as a teenager with pimples and longings and anxieties, I looked at that brown path, my life, and wondered what would be over that hill. The message was clear. You get one pass at life, only one. And the lasting measure of that life is Jesus Christ. He continues, I am 57 as I write these words. And that very plaque hangs today on the wall by our front door. I see it every time I leave home. Only what's done for Christ will last. How much money we make, how successful our kids are, how many deals we've closed, how many games we've won, how many honors we win, how many great vacations we take, all good things. But time will wash them all away. Like a, like a wave crashing into shore, covering up, a, washing away a sandcastle. They'll all be gone and forgotten at some point. And we certainly should love and work and play to the best of our ability and enjoy life. But when we leave God out of the picture, when we fail to work and play and love for, for him and for his glory and for the benefit of, of, of others in his name, then all we do crumbles and it's swept away, gone like dust in the wind. But the reverse of that is true, the converse. The things that are done for Christ will last. The cups of cold water that are given in his name the people who have been pointed to Christ, the children and grandchildren that have been raised in the faith, the churches in which we have served and the, and the, and the work, the lessons from God's word that we have learned and applied and, and taught to others, the sick and the, and the elderly and the imprisoned, the lonely that we visit, the resources we invest in God's kingdom, those things, those things will last forever. They will stand for eternity. You know, I've been in ministry for over 20 years now, and I've done a, a lot of funerals. I don't want to be morbid here and don't want to be insensitive. But there is a sharp, sharp contrast when you stand here and look down at the casket and you know the person and you know that they, not perfectly, but you know that that person used their life to honor God. 
and to help other people. It's sad, and, 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 but it's also inspiring, and you don't have despair about it. There's a sharp contrast when you look down and you know that person's life, they squandered it. They, they simply just let it slip through their fingers, didn't use it well, just used it for themselves, did not use it to help other people. It's a very sobering and sad thing, a bracing thing. And every time I, I, I'm in that situation, it causes me to think about my own life. You know, what will I be remembered for? Who will I have impacted? What meaning will my life have? Psalm 90 is a beautiful song, but a very sobering song. It tells us that we are to number our days if we want them to count. You know, Five for Fighting, Hooting the Blowfish, Kansas, Tim McGraw, Jim Croce, and many, many others have sung about this theme. But Moses tells us we have one life, only one pass. And the only things that are done for Christ, those things that are done for Christ, those are the things that will last. Don't waste your time. Invest your time. Cherish your time. Count your days and use them for God and his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your truth. (coughs) Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people who cherish the time you've given us. Not to tap our feet waiting for it to happen, so get by, go by so we can get to something we want to do. You know, and not just um, rushing around wishing we had more. We know, Lord, that you are good and you're sovereign and you're powerful and loving and that you give us each the days that you've allotted to us. So, Father, help us to be found faithful in using the time we have to love you, Lord with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love others, those around us, as ourselves. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.